0: Hello and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw. You can find me at the Success Alchemist.net, the Web Empowered Manifestation.com on Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist, on Twitter, at Coach Jan Shaw. On Telegram, US, UK Patriot, and on Tooth Social, Success Alchemist. Today is the 14th of January 2023, and the title of today's show is "Republicans Unleashed: Freedom Caucus is Winning, the Year of the Boomerang." And my, oh my, a lot has happened this week. So I'm hoping I can fit everything into this hour's show because, as I say, it's been a real boom week in no uncertain terms. And I'll try and do things in um, sequential order as much as possible. Um, I want to start by just mentioning the outcome of the Supreme Court conference where the Brunson case was being uh, discussed. Unfortunately, they voted against the writ of which was uh, unfortunate, to say the least. Apparently, the Brunson brothers are going to submit um, a re- for a reconsideration of the case. Uh, interestingly, SG Anon, the Q News Patriot, did um, report on this in his audio number 34. And he said that the commander in chief was cluing us in on the fact that the Brunson case would not move forward. And that is by design. It is a military decision being made at the very top. The judiciary in the USA is compromised. The rule of law has been thrown out of the window and was thrown out of the window many decades ago. The justice and judiciary have been controlled from the very top. This is the world we've lived in. So interesting comment. Um You know, if it does proceed forward, we'll have to see what happens next. But I don't think the Brunson brothers are going to give in. And so who knows what will come from this. So a quick rundown of the other things that have happened this week. Um, The House rules were passed on Monday. And this is a report by Fox News. House passes new rules for Congress as McCarthy clears first major test as House Speaker. The rules were passed with 220 to 213 vote that saw just one Republican vote against it. The House of Representatives passed a new rules package Monday that overhauls the way it functions by putting up more barriers to congressional spending and creating a more deliberate process for passing legislation, which were key demands of the more conservative members of the Republican Party. The rules passed with a 220 to 213 vote that saw just one Republican, Representative Tony Gonzalez of Texas. I think we have to keep an eye on this one. Vote against it. Must be a rhino. Passage of the blueprint for how the GOP will run the House is the first sign of success for House Speaker Kevin McCarthy after the fight of his life last week for the Speaker's gavel. And it goes on about how they were negotiated. I won't go into that because I covered that in last week's show. Um, and it all, I also went through what the changes were that were agreed um, to get McCarthy enough votes to become Speaker. And then once that was passed, it was like all hell broke loose. Now, I'm not sure exactly in what Order these things happened. But uh, so bear with me, please. The first one was on the 10th. This is Western Journal reporting. GOP gets right to work on holding Biden admin officials accountable. Files first impeachment of session. House Republicans have fired their first shot at the Biden administration, filing impeachment charges against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Republican Representative Pat Fallon of Texas had promised last week to file articles of impeachment and did so on Monday, according to Fox News. The impeachment process has two steps. First, the House must decide whether an official should be charged. Then a trial is conducted in the Senate on those charges. Given that the House has a GOP majority and the Senate has a Democratic majority, conviction on the charges would require Senate Democrats to join forces with House Republicans. Fallon said the step needed to be taken. Since day one, Secretary Mayorkas' policies have undermined law enforcement activities at our southern border. From perjuring himself before Congress about maintaining operational control of the border, to the infamous Whipgate slander against our Border Patrol agents, Secretary Mayorkas has proved time and time again that he is unfit to lead the Department of Homeland Security, Fallon said in a statement. His willful actions have eroded our immigration system, undermined Border Patrol morale and jeopardised American national security. He has violated the law and it is time for him to go, Fallon Fallon said. Although the text of the articles was not available Tuesday... Fox News last week shared a draft of what had been prepared. Article 1 charges Mayorkas with violating his constitutional oath by violating the Secure the Fence Act of 2006 that calls on the Secretary of Homeland Security to maintain operational control over the entire international land and maritime borders of the United States. As evidence against Mayorkas, the first article said that over five and a half million illegal aliens have crossed our southern border under the leadership of Secretary Mayorkas. The first article noted that under Secretary Mayorkas, more fentanyl has crossed the border in the last two months than in all of the fiscal year 2019 under President Trump's leadership. In fiscal year 2022, over 14,000 pounds of poisonous fentanyl were seized at the southern border. Fentanyl overdoses are the number one cause of death of individuals ages 18 to 45 nationwide. Article 2 claims Majorca's gave perjurious, false and misleading testimony to Congress, citing instances where Majorca's told Congress the border was secure. The record breaking number of illegal alien encounters, including over one million known gotaways, as well as the record seizures of deadly fentanyl and other contraband, prove that Secretary Mayorkas has not ensured. Operational control of the southern border. Secretary Mayorkas clearly committed perjury on multiple occasions before Congress. Article 3 says Mayorkas knowingly slandered his own hard-working border patrol agents and misled the general public through comments pertaining to a discredited allegation that border patrol agents were accused of whipping Haitian immigrants. Mayorkas called images taken from an angle that appeared to show agents striking illegal immigrants horrifying and an example of systemic racism, the article said. The charge against Mayorkas noted that a 511-page report by the U.S. Customs and Border Protection's Office of Personal Responsibility found no evidence that Border Patrol agents involved in this incident struck, intentionally or otherwise, any migrant with their reins. Secretary Mayorkas slandered his own Border Patrol agents and Texas DPS troopers involved in this incident, contributing to a further decrease in already low morale among agents. Last fall, prior to his election last week as House Speaker, Republican Representative Kevin McCarthy of California said Mayorkas would face scrutiny when the new Congress convened. Mayorkas on Sunday said he does not intend to focus on calls for him to be impeached. I've got a lot of work to do and I'm going to continue to do my work, Mayorkas said on the ABC show this week, according to Axios. It doesn't seem like he's done much work (laughs) other than keeping the border open, but uh, we'll see how that plays out. In terms of the committees, Jerry Nadler was kicked off the House Judiciary Committee. Of course, Jim Jordan is now the chair of that. Excellent person. Ilan Omar, Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell were kicked off the Foreign and Intelligence Committees. Dan Crenshaw loses his chair of Homeland Security Committee. Because he's obviously a rhino and uh, was calling people who voted against McCarthy or who were holding out against McCarthy as Speaker, I think he called them terrorists and enemies. So he's uh, shot himself in the foot big time there. In other news, we've got Representative Paul Gosar um, planning to launch an investigation into General Mark Milley and Nancy Pelosi regarding January 6th. We've also had McCarthy say that he is going to release, I think it was McCarthy, it may have been Jim Jordan, saying they're going to release the 14,000 hours of footage of uh, January 6th. So we're going to get some truth in this matter, rather than the kangaroo court that Pelosi and Co. set up with Rhinos Liz Cheney and crybaby Adam Kinsinger. (laughs) who is now working for CNN. Uh, No surprise there. The House also voted to block the funding for the 87,000 IRS agents. We've got Chip Roy and other Republicans seek to stop US funding of WHO, the World Health Organization. Uh, If you remember, Trump stopped it um, when he was president. And of course, Biden, put it back in place. And this was on January 12th on Blaze Media. Representative Chip Roy of Texas and other House Republicans are backing a measure that would bar the US government from funding the World Health Organization. According to a copy of the measure posted by the Washington Examiner, the text of the measure states that the United States may not provide any assessed or voluntary contributions to the World Health Organization. Funnelling millions of taxpayer dollars to the corrupt World Health Organization that serves the Chinese Communist Party is a slap in the face to hardworking American families struggling under record high inflation and to all those whose lives and livelihoods were ruined and destroyed by the COVID pandemic, Roy said, according to a press release. While some Americans would likely rejoice at the prospect of cutting U.S. funding to the WHO, the proposal likely stands zero chance of becoming law since Democrats control the Senate and the White House. Roy has put forward the measure in the past as well. So, yes, unfortunately, all these bills going through the House and are unlikely to get passed in the Senate. Um, There was another one passed this week. This is on January 11th. House Republicans passed major pro-life bill in party line vote. One GOP holds out. And um, this is from the Western Journal. House Republicans are taking early action on abortion with their new majority, approving two measures Wednesday. The new GOP-led House passed one resolution to condemn attacks on pro-life facilities and a separate bill that would impose new penalties if a doctor refused to care for an infant born alive after an abortion attempt. Neither is expected to pass the Democratic-led Senate, but Republicans said they were making good on promises to address the issue, along with other legislative priorities in the first days of power. You don't have freedom, true liberty, unless government protects your most fundamental right, your right to live, said new Republican House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan, who led the debate on the measures. Now, I saw a couple of uh, videos of the Democrat opposition to this, and it's basically saying that you need, if a, a a baby is born alive after a botched abortion, that you must get that baby the proper care. Now, Jerry Nadler, who I really can't bear looking at, <laughs> he made the most ridiculous argument that uh, taking, he called it an infant a hospital would put the baby at risk. Well, being uh, having an attempted abortion has put the baby at risk. And is it less of a risk to leave a baby to die without medical attention than it is to take it to a hospital? I mean, you just can't make this stuff up. Jim Jordan is going ahead with an investigation into the weaponized and politicized FBI and so on. This is D.C. Enquirer on the 12th. House Republicans take massive step to protect your constitutional rights from Biden overreach. The U.S. House of Representatives under Republican leadership voted to launch a select subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government Tuesday. The subcommittee is set to have wide jurisdiction and impressive powers to investigate all alleged violations of Americans' constitutional rights and civil liberties by agencies of the Biden administration. The new subcommittee was created in a party line vote with 221 Republicans voting for it against 211 Democrats. The committee is the result of fierce negotiations between newly minted Speaker Representative Kevin McCarthy, California, and the 20 Republican holdouts who dissented from the House Republican Conference for 14 rounds of voting. Republican Congressman Jim Jordan, Ohio, is expected to chair the subcommittee in addition to the Judiciary Committee, which it's organised under. The panel would be modelled after the Historic Church Committee, 1975, chaired by Senator Frank Church in the aftermath of the Watergate scandal, according to Breitbart. The 13-member panel will consist of seven Republicans plus a chairman, and five Democrats to be nominated, subject to McCarthy's approval by House Minority Leader Representative Hakeem Jeffries, New York. Approval of minority party members from the Speaker was a mere formality for decades and was taken as a House norm. However, that tradition became shattered when the Select Committee on the January 6th Capitol attack was launched on partisan lines by former Speaker Nancy Pelosi. The Democrats broke House norms by throwing out every Republican nominated to the panel and handpicking just two rabidly anti-Trump members, now ex-Congress members Liz Cheney and Adam Kinsinger. According to the resolution that authorised the subcommittee, the scope of the investigation is to include a. The expansive role of Article 2 authority vested in the executive branch to collect information on or otherwise investigate citizens of the United States, including ongoing criminal investigations. b. How executive branch agencies work with, obtain information from and provide information to the private sector, nonprofit entities or other government agencies to facilitate action against American citizens, including the extent, if any, to which illegal or improper, unconstitutional or unethical activities were engaged in by the executive branch or private sector against citizens of the United States. C, how executive branch agencies collect, compile, analyze, use or disseminate information about citizens of the United States, including any unconstitutional, illegal or unethical activities committed against citizens of the United States. D, the laws, programs and activities of the executive branch as they relate to the collection of information, on citizens of the United States and the sources and methods used for the collection of information on citizens of the United States. E. Any other issues related to the violation of the civil liberties of citizens of the United States. And F. Any other matter relating to information collected pursuant to the investigation conducted under this paragraph at any time during the 118th Congress. In the 117th Congress, the Judiciary Committee Republicans under then-ranking member Jordan released a 1,000-page report summarising the testimonies of several Department of Justice whistleblowers that is likely to serve as the guidestone for the subcommittee. Via Twitter, the House Judiciary GOP explained, The report builds on various whistleblower disclosures describing the FBI's Washington hierarchy as rotted at its core with a systemic culture of unaccountability. In a direct rebuke to the conduct of the January 6th committee, in an interview with Sean Hannity, Representatives Jordan James Comer, and Speaker McCarthy stated that the Democratic leadership will be able to appoint any Congress members they choose to the subcommittee. And then yesterday, breaking House GOP launched investigation into botched Afghanistan withdrawal. And this is from Trending Politics. On Friday, the Republican-controlled House launched an investigation into President Joe Biden for his botched withdrawal from Afghanistan that left 13 U.S. troops dead, Representative Michael McCall, a Republican from Texas and chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, has initiated an investigation into Joe Biden's withdrawal of American troops from Afghanistan in August 2021. He sent a letter to Secretary of State Antony Blinken on Thursday seeking information on the White House's actions leading up to the withdrawal. In a statement, McCall said it is absurd and disgraceful that the Biden administration has repeatedly denied our longstanding oversight requests and continues to withhold information related to the withdrawal. In the event of continued noncompliance, the committee will use the authorities available to it to enforce these requests as necessary, including through a compulsory process, he added. We owe this to the American people, especially our service members and veterans, McCall continued. The lawmaker promised to pursue this investigation until all our questions are answered and all parties responsible are held accountable. Biden announced his withdrawal plans in April 2021, stating troops would start leaving on May 1st. The U.S. military abandoned Bagram Air Base in July and left behind $7 billion worth of military equipment and assets. The Taliban entered Afghanistan's capital, Kabul, on August 15th, causing Afghanistan President Ashraf Ghani to flee for Tajikistan, In 2021, Republicans on the Foreign Affairs Committee released a report condemning Biden for the withdrawal. On August 26, 2021, 13 Marines were killed by an ISIS-K suicide bomber outside of the Hamid Karzai International Airport and more than 60 others were injured. McCall in October committed himself to investigating what exactly happened at the White House with regard to the botched withdrawal. The Republican-controlled House has been going on the offensive since taking control. As promised, Jim Jordan just launched a new investigation into Joe Biden's newest classified document scandal. And I think this is a good point to move on to that. So what happened this week? Um, Documents, there were three sets of documents discovered Firstly, at the biden pen office in d c and then the second one, which was highly comical, was um, one or more documents. In his garage, where he kept his Corvette, and his only excuse was, "Well, it was locked up, just like my Corvette is." Apparently, it's a, a vintage Corvette from '76, I think. And then we've had a further release today, so he's really getting into trouble. And of course, the um, the mainstream media are trying to spin it all, and oh, this doesn't matter, you know. It's being treated completely different from the way that Trump was treated relating to documents that he had when he had that FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago. So I've chosen to um, report this with a Brian Cates article on Substack and its rise of the new media newsletter. After two years of being coddled and protected, Biden's first real scandal has arrived and he will not politically survive it. There's been a lot of sound and fury over the past week in regards to the emergent classified document scandal that has surprised the White House of current President Joseph R. Biden. It seems to me a lot of the hot takes are ill thought out and are often based on knee jerk reactions based on the observers confirmation biases. It's almost comical watching in real time on social media as people who had never even heard the name Robert Hur in their lives became instant experts on him in the span of 30 minutes. After learning he was the new special counsel that Attorney General Merrick Garland had tapped to investigate the very real crimes involved in the highly illegal taking and storing of classified documents in unauthorised and non-secure places. So right now, there's three active special counsel investigations going on at the same time. That of John Durham, who is investigating how the Mueller special counsel came about when the fraud it was predicated upon should have been easily spotted and rejected. That of Jack Smith, who is investigating issues related to the documents taken from former President Donald Trump, and now the newly appointed special counsel Robert Hur, who is investigating the current president. Let's rise up to the 40,000 foot view, shall we? What just happened over the last six days? President Joe Biden has ended up in the middle of a serious national security breach. There were initial efforts in the fake news to downplay the scandal, as if finding classified documents in Biden's garage was no big deal. But it is a big deal. The crimes involved here are so serious a new special counsel was appointed within four days of the criminal acts coming to light. And no, I am not being hyperbolic here. All the evidence thus far points to these classified documents being of the utmost seriousness. It is a crime to, one, remove classified material from their secure locations, two, transport them to an unsecure location, and three, store stroke hide it there, with four, several people having no security clearances handling them. That's not one crime, that's four separate crimes. From what has been reported, Biden has had possession of these documents for at least six years since his tenure as former President Barack Obama's VP ended in January of 2017. The immediate comparisons to Trump's case cognitive dissonance immediately set in for a lot of people as they watched Garage Gate unfold this week. After all, hadn't we just watched events unfold from the Mar-a-Lago raid last August, then all the legal wrangling that went on, a briefly appointed special master, and then special counsel Jack Smith's appointment to sort it all out. And all this happened despite the fact it was always known that former President Donald Trump had these several boxes of formerly classified documents in a storage room at his home in Mar-a-Lago boxes kept under lock and key with Secret Service protection and security cameras in place. Trump was hit with a likely illegal raid by the FBI to seize the documents back from him. Trump is still litigating the issue of whether or not the documents in question were in fact still classified as the FBI DOJ National Archives insists they are. Trump insists he had full declassification authority as president, but now he's being told he didn't. But when it comes to the documents discovered at the Penn Center or in the Biden family garage, nobody has to put in months of investigation to determine if a series of serious national security crimes were committed or not. That's already been admitted by all the parties involved. Biden's team has already made the key admissions that one, yes, all of these documents are still classified and two, yes, they were removed from secure locations and were found in places they could not legally have been taken to. And three, yes, people with no security clearances ended up handling the documents. Because those three points were already established before her was brought in, the most important thing left for him to determine then is who committed the serious crimes of taking these documents and storing stroke hiding them at these multiple unsecure locations and if they were ever shown to or handled by someone in a manner so as to compromise the classified information in the documents. Given everything you know about the laptop from hell and the Biden crime family's well-documented history of corruption, graft, influence peddling and funding various exotic things overseas, like human trafficking and biological viral research, what's in these documents could end up being extremely explosive. Congressional committees will investigate parallel to her special counsel, Early chatter in the news cycle was very incoherent for several reasons, not the least of which was the narrative that the DOJ should immediately hand all the evidence to Congress to let members of the House handle the criminal investigation. I watched TV talking heads opine that these classified documents found illegally in Biden's possession should be immediately handed over to the US Congress so the Congress could do its own investigation. That's an extremely bad idea and I'll tell you why. The last time we saw the Congress handed key classified evidence in a major criminal investigation, it was immediately leaked to the press. That was the Carter Page Pfizer warrant back in 2018 given under seal to the Congress. That Page Pfizer warrant was leaked to the press just as fast as James Wolfe could arrange it. I don't mean to shock you, but did you know that Congress is full of drunken leakers? It's true. And anything handed to Congress, both sides of the aisle get their hands on it, R&D. One side or the other will immediately leak something to gain a partisan advantage. Does the leaking of classified evidence to the news media by Congress help solve any crimes? By committing new crimes via the leaking, asking that question is to answer it. People don't want to hear this right now, but here goes. You can't give classified documents that are part of a serious national security breach to the US Congress if you because half of the Congress will leak the evidence to the media to blow up your investigation and protect their friends. You would end up not only compromising the evidence for the cases being built, you would also compromise the classified information contained in the documents. That's not going to happen so people calling for it to happen are wasting their time. Leaks can tell you a lot, even by their absence. As you watch this play out, pay attention to where the leaks, if any, are coming from. If Her's new special counsel's office starts leaking to the press, that's your first sign it's a politicised probe and that a cover-up is underway. You also want to look at what those leaks, likely fake, are trying to lead you to believe about what her is investigating, who he's targeting, etc., Fake leaks are constructed to appeal to confirmation bias. This is why the Mueller Special Counsel's fake leaks were so effective at stringing people along for almost two full years. As you all know, while Mueller's Special Counsel leaked regularly and often, Durham hasn't leaked anything since he started in April of 2017. Smith hasn't leaked in three months now, and her just started. The leaks, if any, are ever coming out of these two new Special Councils will tell us something if we pay attention and can look past our own confirmation biases. The leakers in and around the Muller Special Counsel's office fed a steady diet of fake leaks to the media for 22 months, building expectations never delivered on. Those fake leaks had many people eagerly awaiting forthcoming indictments of Donald Trump Jr. and Jared Kushner for more than a year before they viciously had the rug pulled out from under them when Mueller shut down unexpectedly. The difference between the Mueller and the Hur special counsels is that Mueller was tasked to investigate what is now irrefutably proven to have been a dirty trick hoax created by the Clinton campaign in 2016. Her has been asked to investigate a series of very real crimes involving classified national security material, where much of the basic evidence of said crimes have already been publicly revealed and admitted to. Biden is finished at this point. Biden will not politically survive this. A chief executive caught in this kind of massive national security breach cannot remain in office. There is no good explanation for these documents being taken, being missing for six years and then being found where they are that absolves Biden. Biden was already a deeply unpopular president in a weakened position due to his many policy failures and lack of leadership. Had he been a strong chief executive the past 24 months, he might have been able to weather his first big scandal, but he's not and he won't. At some point, her is going to have to reveal, even if only in the most basic of generalisations, what these compromised classified documents are about, what they contain and how they relate to Biden. That should tell us why they were taken. If these documents really are about China, Ukraine and Iran, as rumoured, and the her probe determines Biden or one of his family members played any role in their being taken and stored where they were found biden is leaving one way or another whether it's resignation or impeachment stroke conviction in a senate trial a president has to demonstrate competence and fidelity for a sitting president to have been inarguably found mishandling classified documents for his own partisan or financial purposes is clearly demonstrating unfitness for the office he holds trump said the 25th amendment would come back to haunt biden There are several reasons the office of the president can become vacant. One, impeachment and removal by Senate trial. Two, physical impairment stroke incapacitation. Three, death. If special counsel, her, produces uncontestable evidence that Joe Biden was materially involved in a serious national security breach, that's a high crime and misdemeanor. It's a real impeachable offense. Unlike the two sham impeachments of former President Donald Trump, Biden's impeachment and trial will be going over an exhaustive amount of evidence compiled by a special counsel appointed by a Democrat attorney general. As with Nixon, when faced with an impeachment and then a Senate trial, he knew he was sure to lose. If Biden surveys the landscape and sees the evidence is solid, having come from the Garland DOJ no less, facing impeachment in the House and very likely conviction and removal from office in a Senate trial, Biden would very likely step down for health reasons after sending the required written notices to Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy. It's assumed the fallout from this scandal should be limited just to Joe Biden and his family. We'll have to wait and see on that. This scandal might very well mean the lid has been lifted off a very real Pandora's box that will engulf far more than just the Biden crime family. The corrupt D.C. political culture within which the Bidens have flourished for more than 50 years might also be in danger of exposure and there have actually been references to Hillary Clinton and, of course, her email server, and also to to Obama, who retained many documents uh, from his presidency. So it'd be interesting to see what else is revealed about the uh, Garage Gate classified papers. Um, So this week, we've also had Twitter files number 14 and 15. I'm going to start with an article from involve.com. The biggest Twitter files bombshell yet. Democrats caught colluding to push Russiagate lie on Twitter. They all knew it was a lie. And this was published yesterday on the 13th. New Twitter files expose how Democrat politicians, including Blumenthal, Schiff and Feinstein, knowingly spread the Russiagate lie. They knowingly lied about the tale of Russian bots and the release the memo hashtag. Matt Taby released a new batch of Twitter files, once again proving that Russiagate was a complete fraud. At a crucial moment in a years-long furore, Democrats denounced a report about flaws in the Trump-Russia investigation, saying it was boosted by Russian bots and trolls, Taby writes. Democratic lawmakers, including Richard Blumenthal, Dianne Feinstein and Adam Schiff, insisted Russian bots had overtaken Twitter and were being used to boost Republican talking points. The Twitter platform executives warned them that it was not the case. Twitter wrote a letter to Schiff and Feinstein in response. One line read, Our initial inquiry based on available data has not identified any significant activity connected to Russia with respect to tweets posting original content to this hashtag. They told them they thought they are putting the cart before the horse. They knew it wasn't true. Democrats knew it wasn't true, but used the lie to destroy the Republican le- led House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence's memo in 2018 that detailed FBI surveillance abuses against Trump insiders. Taby wrote, Twitter warned politicians and media they not only lacked evidence, but had evidence the accounts weren't Russian and were roundly ignored. Representatives Schiff and Feinstein of California blew up the fraudulent idea of a Kremlin troll farm behind the release the memo hashtag posted by fellow Californian Devin Nunes, who chaired the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. The memo gave details of FBI abuses and the role of the debunked Steele dossier. After the memo was released, Democrat lawmakers claimed falsely that the hashtag had, quote, gained the immediate attention and assistance of social media accounts linked to Russian influence operations, end quote and accused Mr. Nunes of distorting classified information in the memo. Senator Richard Blumenthal, Connecticut Democrat, wrote a separate open letter denouncing the Nunes memo, adding that he found it reprehensible that Russian agents have so eagerly manipulated innocent Americans. The media followed up and called the memo a joke. Democrat lawmakers and their media had one source to back up the Russian troll lies that they called for the release of the memo. Feinstein stroke Schiff said the Nunes memo distorts classified information, but note they didn't call it incorrect. The source was vague at best. The source, the Alliance for Securing Democracies, ASD, Hamilton 68, Dashboard, created by former FBI counterintelligence official Clint Watts, was widely dismissed by Twitter executives. It was vague in how it reached its conclusions, Taby said. The executives inside Twitter panned the source and said no one was checking with them. Roth found nothing to back up their vague, invented stories. I just reviewed the accounts that posted the first 50 tweets with release the memo hashtag, and none of them show any signs of affiliation to Russia, Yoel Roth, Twitter's head of trust and safety, wrote in an internal email. One Twitter executive tried to negotiate. It might be worth nudging Blumenthal's staffer that it could be in his boss's best interest not to go out there because it could come back to make him look silly, one Twitter worker wrote in an internal email. Mr Blumenthal published his letter despite the warnings and knowing it was untrue. One staffer from Miss Feinstein's office contacted Twitter to determine the process by which they decide an account is Russian, referring to Hamilton 68's process. That was after she published her dishonest letter. When Twitter spoke to a Blumenthal staffer, they tried to wave him off because we don't believe these are bots. Execs eventually grew frustrated over what they saw as a circular process presented with claims of Russian activity, even when denied, led to more claims, Taby writes. If you give a mouse a cookie. Eventually, Twitter staff realised Blumenthal isn't looking for real and nuanced solutions, but just wants to get credit for pushing us further. Taby added one comment from an executive. Ultimately... Senior executives talked about feeding congressional trolls and comparing their situation to the children's book If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. In the story, if you give a mouse a cookie, he'll want a glass of milk, which will lead to a wave of other exhausting requests, at the end of which he'll want a glass of milk and one more cookie. Taby concludes, despite universal internal conviction that there were no Russians in the story, Twitter went on to follow a slavish pattern of not challenging Russia claims on the record. Outside counsel from DC connected firms like Debovoise and Plimpton advised Twitter to use language like with respect to particular hashtags, we take seriously any activity that may represent an abuse of our platform he didn't win, did he? All this reminds me of Harry Reid's story that he heard Mitt Romney had secret accounts in the Bahamas. Romney was running for president at the time. It proved to be a complete lie. Reid's response when he was caught was, he didn't win, did he? Nancy Pelosi said much the same thing several years ago when she told her tribe they must win at all costs. You will say and do anything when you believe the end justifies the means. The end for Democrats appears to be a one world authoritarian government. If you think you can embarrass hypocrites, you're wrong. They're proud to have tricked you. And then the Twitter files 15. This is reported by Alex Berenson, who put out the Twitter thread. And we're moving on to more of the COVID-19 scenario now, which is encouraging. We're hoping we'll get the uh, Fauci files soon. Um, this is on his Substack, alexberenson.substack.com. From the Twitter files, Pfizer board member Scott Gottlieb secretly pressed Twitter to hide posts challenging his company's massively profitable Covid jabs. To funnel his demands, Gottlieb used the same Twitter lobbyists the White House did. Fresh evidence of overlap between the company selling mRNA shots and the government forcing them on the public. On August 27th, 2021, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, a Pfizer director with over 550,000 Twitter followers, saw a tweet he didn't like, a tweet that might hurt sales of Pfizer's mRNA vaccines. The tweet explained correctly that natural immunity after COVID infection was superior to vaccine protection. It called on the White House to follow the science and exempt people with natural immunity from upcoming vaccine mandates. It came not from an anti-vaxxer like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., but from Dr. Brett Girouard, a physician who had briefly followed Gottlieb as the head of the Food and Drug Administration. Further, the tweet actually encouraged people who did not have natural immunity to get vaccinated, no matter. By suggesting some people might not need COVID vaccinations, the tweet could raise questions about the shots. Besides being former FDA commissioner, a CNBC contributor and a prominent voice on COVID public policy, Gottlieb was a senior board member at Pfizer, which depended on mRNA jabs for almost half its $81 billion in sales in 2021. Pfizer paid Gottlieb $365,000 for his work that year. Gottlieb stepped in, emailing Todd Boyle, a top lobbyist in Twitter's Washington office, who was also Twitter's point of contact with the White House. The post was corrosive, Gottlieb wrote. He worried it would, quote, end up going viral and driving news coverage. I found the email in a search of records I ran at Twitter last week, part of Elon Musk's Twitter Files effort to raise the veil on censorship decisions Twitter made before Musk bought the company in October. I went into detail about my involvement at the Twitter Files in a Substack article yesterday. I plan more reporting on the Files in the weeks to come. Get the truth, Big Pharma wishes you wouldn't see. Through JIRA, an internal system Twitter used for managing complaints, O'Boyle forwarded Gottlieb's email to the Twitter strategic response team. That group was responsible for handling concerns from the company's most important employees and users. Please see this report from the former FDA commissioner, O'Boyle wrote, failing to mention that Gottlieb was a Pfizer board member with a financial interest in pushing mRNA shots. A strategic response analyst quickly found the tweet did not violate any of the company's misinformation rules. Yet Twitter wound up flagging Giroir's tweet anyway, putting a misleading tag on it and preventing almost anyone from seeing it. It remains tagged even though several large studies have confirmed the truth of Giroir's words. And the tweet says it's now clear COVID-19 natural immunity is superior to vaccine immunity by a lot. There's no science justification for vax proof if a person had prior infection. CDC director at POTUS must follow the science. If no previous infection, get vaccinated. And it's flagged as misleading. Learn why health officials recommend a vaccine for most people. A week later, on September 3rd, 2021, Gottlieb tried to strike again, complaining to O'Boyle about a tweet from Justin Hart. Hart is a lockdown and COVID vaccine sceptic with more than 100,000 Twitter followers. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but a viral pathogen with a child mortality rate of around 0% has cost our children nearly three years of schooling, Hart had written. Why Gottlieb objected to Hart's words is not clear, but the Pfizer shot would soon be approved for children 5 to 11, representing another massive market for Pfizer if parents could be convinced COVID was a real threat to their kids. O'Boyle referred to former FDA Commissioner Gottlieb when he forwarded the report, again ignoring Gottlieb's current work for Pfizer. This time, though, Gottlieb's complaint was so far afield that Twitter refused to act. At the same time, Gottlieb was also pressing Twitter to act against me, as I disclosed on Substack on October 13, 2022, drawing on documents that Twitter's pre-Musk regime provided to me as part of my lawsuit against it. Gottlieb's action was part of a larger conspiracy that included the Biden White House and Andrew Slavitt, working publicly and privately to pressure Twitter until it had no choice but to ban me. I will have more to say about my own case and will be suing the White House, Slavitt, Gottlieb and Pfizer shortly. The morning after I wrote that article, Gottlieb appeared on CNBC, the financial news channel, where he is a contributor and offered what at best was a seriously misleading explanation of his actions and his motives. Gottlieb did not deny pressing Twitter on me. He could not, given the documents I had released the night before. But in an interview with Joe Kernan of CNBC, Gottlieb said he had asked Twitter to act only because he was concerned if tweets raised the threat of violence against vaccine advocates. The inability of these platforms to police direct threats, physical threats about people, that's my concern about what's going on in that ecosystem, Gottlieb said." I'm unconcerned about debate being made, Gottlieb told Kernan. I'm concerned about physical threats being made for people's safety. In a tweet that morning, Gottlieb doubled down, writing, Respectful debate and dialogue is one thing and should be encouraged and protected. But there's no place for targeted harassment and misleading dialogue, which can instigate a small but persuadable group of people to make targeted and dangerous threats. But Brett Giroir's tweet about natural immunity was the definition of respectful debate and dialogue. And in his own email to Todd O'Boyle, Gottlieb did not raise any security concerns about it. He simply complained that it might wind up driving news coverage. Gottlieb is not just a Pfizer board member. He is one of seven members of the board's executive committee and the head of its regulatory and compliance committee, which oversees compliance with laws, regulations and internal procedures applicable to pharmaceutical sales and marketing activities. Pfizer has a long history of violating drug industry laws and ethics rules. In 2009, it agreed to pay $2.3 billion, the largest health care fraud settlement in American history for fraudulently marketing several drugs. In 1996, it conducted a clinical trial of an antibiotic in Nigeria in which 11 children died and which became the inspiration for John le Carré's novel, The Constant Gardener. So how will Pfizer react to the black and white proof from Twitter's records that one of its most powerful board members secretly tried to suppress debate on the mRNA jabs that have has been by far its best-selling product since 2020? And will CNBC continue to let Gottlieb use it to mislead the public? Moving on now to something strange that happened earlier this week. This was on the 11th and this is the New York Post. Thousands of delays across US after FAA system failure grounds flights. Air travellers found themselves on the receiving end of the worst national flight shutdown since 9-11, early Wednesday, after a nationwide Federal Aviation Administration system failure snarled travel plans and caused travel chaos. The FAA reported an outage with the Notice to Air Missions, or NOTAM, a critical system that relays important information to pilots and airports. The FAA is working to restore its notice to air mission system, the agency told the post in an email early Wednesday. Operations across the national airspace system are affected. FAA tweeted that the ground stop was lifted shortly before 9am, but flyers continued to reel from cascading impacts throughout the day. Nearly 8,000 flights were delayed within, into or out of the U.S. as of 2 p.m., according to flight tracking website FlightAware. More than 2,900 flights were cancelled, with New York's LaGuardia Airport and Washington's National Airport at the top of the pack, with around six dozen cancellations each. A ground stop remained in place at Denver International Airport. And I'm not going to go into the rest of that. I'd like to just uh, give a bit of an interpretation um, based on some uh, speculation by Anons and so on, thinking that this perhaps perhaps was a white hat operation to um, cover up what was happening in the skies. And I was listening to SG Anon. CUNY's Patriots uh, number 35 audio earlier and he talks about this. He said it was an alliance operation. U.S. Air Force fighter jets up and down the eastern seaboard, west coast, southern border, Minnesota, North Dakota, Wisconsin, central and northern parts of the U.S. Much was off radar, possibly a search and capture operation to prevent some of these criminals from escaping. And there were similar interruptions in Canada. Apologies for some background noise. I keep getting (laughs) these small aeroplanes flying over and uh, there's nothing I can do about it, I'm afraid. Now, I've mentioned on previous shows about how the COVID narrative is breaking down, falling apart, and the truth barrier on Substack, this is Celia Farber. She posted this article, COVID narrative hits iceberg. CDC and FDA admit stroke risk signal from bivalent COVID shots. We'll now investigate. Merrill Nass, huge news. Also, Dr. Asim Malhotra says COVID vaccines kill people, including his father, on the BBC. That's quite a turn up. So got a tweet from Rob Schneider. The narrative has collapsed. COVID-19 vaccine not only doesn't work, it is killing people. Mainstream media can no longer maintain willful ignorance. I predict even the captured and corrupt US regulatory agencies, FDA and CDC, will be forced to pull the experimental gene therapy. And that's in response to a tweet from Dr. Asim Malhotra, breaking BBC News, cardiologist says likely contributory factor to excess cardiovascular deaths is COVID mRNA vaccine and rollout should be suspended pending an inquiry. We did it. We broke mainstream broadcast media. And Rob Schneider again, They can't ignore it any longer. We are now 45 to 90 days from this experiment being cancelled. And then the CDC will claim they acted responsibly. Sorry, but I can't forget that the CDC director mocked us for curing our COVID-19 with ivermectin, saying we were taking horse meds. And it's in response to a tweet by Chief Nerd. Breaking... CDC to investigate link between strokes and COVID-19 vaccines. The CDC is now saying there have been enough cases of people who have received the vaccine and then suffered a stroke. Dr. Merrill Nass on the CDC announcement. This is huge news. From her substack, big news, CDC, FDA flag early signal of stroke risk with bivalent COVID vaccine. It came out on a Friday night of a three day weekend, which is proof they wanted to bury it. This is huge news, Nass writes, because the VSD database that produced the red flag for ischemic strokes which compromise 80% of all strokes and are due to blood clots, has been analysed by CDC in a manner that prevented it from showing red flags in the past. No red flag from for myocarditis, heart attacks, sudden deaths, Bell's palsy etc. In other words they are using a bum algorithm or method that is designed to miss adverse event signals. Eventually CDC stumbled on a myocarditis signal in the database but missed all the other obvious diagnosis. If, so if they are using the same crude technique and found strokes that means there were a great deal of strokes many more than would have been expected as the baseline rate. Furthermore, the VSD is considered an active surveillance database of high reliability, which includes the medical records of 12 million Americans, Merrill Nass. Meanwhile, Martha Stewart decapitates a pineapple with a sharpened sword in a dark kitchen to inspire Americans to get more boosters. And the tweet is from Elijah Schaffer. Hollywood is being paid off to push boosters, while even the CDC now admits the shots are permanently damaging and killing people. Crazy. So, yes, I mean, my comment about this is if they've identified that this uh, vaccine, which we know isn't a vaccine, actually causes strokes, which we know we've seen so many sudden deaths, uh, then they should withdraw it immediately until the investigation is completed, not keep rolling it out there while this investigation is going on. And a quick final word from SG and on again from number 35. We are witnessing the fall of the multi-thousand-year power structure that has not only sought to control and enslave the earth but has a totality of control over all things occurring on the earth and in the natural world that flies in the face of the Almighty. This is the time to rediscover ourselves, our true nature, where we've come from and where we're going. So that's all I have time for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show. We are really in exciting times with all of this happening now. I really think it's going to be a fantastic year, 2023, a year of absolute exposure of all these criminals. So... Thank you to Nancy Hopkins for producing and also to Derek Condit who sponsors the Cosmic Reality radio station and visit his site at mysticalwares.com. So until next time, stay well, be safe and bye for now. You have been listening to Cosmic Creating with Jan Shaw, updating current reality a production of cosmicreality.com